You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with NM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at Let's Talk Torah at gmail.com, and of course, I will answer as many questions as possible. I don't know what happened to that intro. I said, I said everybody. I always say everyone. But okay, I guess that's what happens when you space that a little bit. Anyways. You know, we, we talked in the last show, talking in this show, world was destroyed once by the flood. Now, uh, interesting, so Noah comes out of the ark, the flood, the year, the world is destroyed, brings sacrifices, and, um, and God smells, whatever that means, he sees the sacrifices, he, it says he smells the pleasant smell, and he says, you know, I'm not going to destroy the world anymore. Um, I won't bring a flood to destroy the world. And and therefore, it's, I guess, a little bit safer. And that's the sign of the rainbow. The rainbow is the, is the sign of the treaty between God and man, that God won't destroy the world. So when you see a rainbow, you got to wonder, maybe we're not behaving so well, but God has to keep his uh, word in the treaty. We're going to talk about this concept. We're going to talk about this but first, I want to backtrack a little bit. And I want us to think, God told Noah he's bringing a flood. He's destroying the whole world. So this is not just rainwater. This is not just water that's submerging everything. Everything's destroyed. As we, Detroit's gone through a couple of floods this, uh, this summer. It's been hard. It didn't destroy everything. Oh, yeah, look, it, 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 it ruined basements. It destroyed basements, probably messed up foundations. But the buildings are standing. It's not all rubble. It's not all sand and mud, right? So this is not just a regular flood. And Noah understands that. So Noah's building this ark. What does he think is going to happen? Right? Let's, let's just start out with this thought in our mind. What does Noah think is really going to happen when this water comes down? The Medrash says it was boiling hot water and it destroyed things. So he has this wooden, right? They didn't have battleships, right? They, they don't have metal shops. They're not building a ship out of steel, right? It's not made out of wood. And it took him 120 years. Some say the 120 years was so that he could actually plant the trees and grow the trees. So everything was done with pure intention, so great. So he's building these logs. I mean, just imagine the boats that we think about, that uh, the Santa Maria, the Nina, the Nina, Marina, Pinta, Santa Maria, something like that. Uh, but in any case, uh, right, those boats didn't always do so well in storms across the ocean. <laughs> Wooden ships can crack and break in humongous storms. Okay, so there's tar, pitch, inside and outside. Like, What? A year? What is Noah thinking? So now, with that question in mind, let's put that question off to the side. And I would like to tell you a beautiful story that I just saw. Beautiful story. And 
it, it will it will open up our eyes to our attitude, what our attitude should be towards Jewish education, what our attitude should really be towards anything that we are doing because God said so, even if we think we won't be successful. So between the years 1948 and 51, uh, so it's after World War II, so there was a large migration of Jews coming to the land of Israel, as many as could get in. Right? Became a nation. They opened up their doors to Jews. And um, in, the, in, the, in the mid-50s, so that was wave number one. Then there was a second wave of students, of children, I'm sorry, of adults, of children in the, in the mid-50s. And what happened was the first group, the large majority, not the, the Jews that had always been there. Jews had been there for, you know, 100, 200 years. The religious rabbis in Jerusalem, I'm not discussing them, but the Jews that came were, were not religious. And they wanted a country that was not based on religion. They did not want a religious country. So not only did they not want a religious country, but what they really wanted was that any of the Jews coming in, we've talked about it in the past, the, the Yemenites that came in the mid-50s, they did everything they could, send them to an irreligious kibbutz, send them to their public schools, anything, anything so as not to uh, create more religious Jews. That was their goal. We've talked about it. There's, it's, it's not even a, it's not a question of is it true, is it not true. It, it was very true. It was very clear. Some of the things they did that you want to debate it because it's uh, not public, fine. But this was very clear. Anyways, so many of the rabbis at the time took it upon themselves to fight for these children. They came from religious areas. The Jews that came from Yemen had been religious for hundreds, 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 hundreds of years. They, they, they were so insulated. They didn't even know what the outside world looked like. They didn't know what it meant to be not religious. And here they get flown on planes, and they come to Israel, and, and they are culture shocked. They don't know what's flying. So they wanted religious education, but if their kids were grabbed and taken to other places, they, they didn't speak the language. They were, it was out of their control. So you had many, many rabbis that they took it upon themselves to help and try to get these children into schools. And there's multiple stories and one of the people that was very involved was a man by the name of Rev. Yankel Galinsky. Yankel Galinsky was a small man. We've told you stories about him when he was in Siberia, in Russia, beautiful stories. He was a man, very short, very tiny, but so much energy, so much fire. He would do anything. He would break down doors, walk through walls, anything to help educate Jewish children. He was he was fire. So it seems he was very involved in the city of Hadera. Hadera's population just kept increasing after 1948. It was one of these northern cities that had a lot, a lot of immigration. And it's probably because it's near Haifa. So since near Haifa, so probably when they came off the boats, uh, that may have been one of the closest locales for them to get to. Anyways... Uh, there was actually, even though many of the settlers there were from Europe, there happened to have been about 40 Yemenite families. So this Ryan Galinsky was involved in a school. He, he, he actually founded a school there, a Orthodox day school, and he devoted his life to it. He got these children in, and he fundraised for it. 
he had to run around the world, fundraising, do whatever he could to make sure that there was money for this school. As one time on one of his, uh, his uh, worldwide whirlwind travels to fundraise, so there was a, a man, a wealthy philanthropic man in a certain city, but it seemed Orthodox organizations struggled to get any money from him. Struggled, struggled. So he figures, look, everybody else tried. They weren't successful. Maybe I'll be successful. A lot of times God puts the right words into my mouth. Let's see what happens. So he goes to the man and gets an appointment. The man was not hard to make appointments. He just didn't like to give money. So the rich man let him come to his house, and the Vyagalitsky starts to describe uh, the, the new children that are coming into the school and and, and they need the resources and the funding and they have to hire the teachers and they have to get the books and they have to get the pencils and the pens and, uh, and the administrators and the buildings and clean up and everything. Look, I'm involved in a school, right? It's a lot of expenses to educate children. So he says, we need your help. He said, interesting enough, he said that, um, that it's like, a, it's like a, a war. He says, we're fighting a war. And, and we need your help. So the wealthy man says to Rabbi Galinsky, he says, Rabbi, I'm a businessman. I make investments. And I don't know if you're a good investment. You're telling me it's so hard to keep them religious. And maybe they'll be religious in your school. But uh, if it's such a battle that you think is a losing battle, why should I invest with you? That's a terrible investment. So Rabbi Galinsky says, you're right. Um, we, of course, can't stop everybody from becoming irreligious. We can't save all the children, but whichever children we could save, it's we're building our own boats. We're building our own arks. We're like Noah. We're going to build these arks, and at least some of the children will be saved. And I would like you to help us build an ark. I would like you to help us with these schools. The rich man smiled, and he says, Rabbi, you know, I learned the Bible, and I remember in the story with Noah that he builds it, and there's and it's three floors, and how many cubits, and how tall it is, and there was pitch and tar to waterproof it, but between me and you, Rabbi, so there's no way that that ark could have survived the flood. Why did it survive the flood? God made a miracle. Was, there was no way that Noah was going to be able to build this any kind of ship that should survive, like our original question, there's no way he's going to be able to build any kind of ship that would survive this flood. So God made a miracle. So for, for Noah's survival, okay, so God made a miracle. So you're asking me to invest with you for a miracle. Because I'm going to pour my money in, and then I'm going to have to hope God makes a miracle. Because you're telling me that so many children are being overtaken by this flood of uh, becoming not religious, so uh, you want to save a few, and it'll be miraculous if we save a few. Why would I invest my money um, asking for a miracle? And the guy sits back. You know, sometimes when you have wealthy people and they, or business people or partners or anything, and you're trying to raise money from them, and they think they've made this most valid, salient point, and there's no answer, so they win, you can't ask them for money. Chaglinsky said, you're right, you're right. It's true, but 
Let's look at Noah. What was Noah thinking when he built the ark? You yourself admit that he couldn't possibly think it would survive. So the man said, yeah. Here's what he was thinking. In his mind, he said, I have to do what God wants me to do. God says, build an ark. I build an ark. Ah, who says the ark could even survive? That's not Noah's problem. God says, build an ark. It will survive. It won't survive. That's nothing to do with me. If God wants it to survive, it survives. If God doesn't want it to survive, it won't survive. Those are the two choices. Finished. So Raglinski said, we're in the same boat. God wants us to help these children be in a regular Orthodox Jewish day school. Will they all go? Of course not. Can I save all of them? Of course not. But God wants me to get in those that I can get in. I'll be successful. I won't be successful. I don't know. That's God's problem. My problem is that I have to do what God wants. God says, build that ark. So Raglinski says to the wealthy man, are you going to help us build an ark? Or are you not going to help us build an ark? And as the story goes, the man became a very large donor, Trevor Galinsky. And uh, some of you think it's like regular sales, right? The guy says, no, yes, no, yes. As long as you can take care of his nose and he's an honest person, then generally speaking, you'll, you, you will be successful. Raglinski was successful. But that answers our question that we started with. What was Noah thinking? He was thinking, I got to do what God says. More than that, there's nothing I can do. God wants this building, this ark to survive. The ark will survive. God doesn't want it to survive. It won't survive. That's it. I can't do anything, not more, not less. Okay. So one of the things we talked about in the last show, we said God made a treaty, the rainbow. The rainbow is the treaty between God and man that God won't destroy the world. In other words, the world was so bad in the time of Noah, it deserved to be destroyed. Then God says, I'm making a treaty with you, won't destroy the world again. Then we have the next Torah portion, the Tower of Babel, where it sounds like God would have destroyed them, except they had a saving grace. We'll get to that saving grace soon. But if they wouldn't have had a saving grace, they would have been destroyed. So it becomes fascinating. God says he's making a treaty, but... Even though he made a treaty, he could still destroy the world. So, like, what's what's what, what exactly is the treaty? Like, what exactly is happening with with this rainbow business when no problem, God just could just go ahead and destroy the world anyways? See, so you, you got to look at the verses very carefully. I think the question is good. But you look at the verses, God says the world's not going to be the same anymore. The world used to be the most beautiful weather perfect temperatures, like San Diego, whatever, 75, 78, cool weather, cool breeze, I mean, no, you know, low humidity, everything grew fantastic. So the world was perfect. You never suffered. You never, ever suffered. So you never, ever suffer. So every time you do something wrong, so the scale keeps getting heavier and heavier and heavier. And the world is piling up on that scale, getting worse and worse and worse and lower and lower. And, and there's nothing to, you know, brush off some of that side of the scale. So God said, I'm going to make seasons. There'll be winter. There'll be snow. There'll be ice. There'll be super hot. There'll be rain. There'll be humidity. It's never perfect. You know, sometimes in Michigan, I think I wake up on a Shabbos morning, I walk to synagogue, and I say, wow, 
this is one of like the three days a year that the weather is just perfect. Couldn't ask for anything better. But three days a year. So 360 plus, it's not perfect. When it's not perfect, I'm suffering a little bit. And not only me, everyone. As long as there's that teensy little bit of suffering for everybody, so God keeps knocking off part of the scale. As long as God is knocking off part of the scale, it never sinks all the way. That was the treaty that God made with Noah. I'm going to reset the world. Instead of waiting till you've done so much rotten stuff I have to destroy you, I won't let you get to that point. I'll make sure that there's always suffering in the world. Part of the suffering is what keeps us going. Nobody likes suffering. We don't want to discuss why suffering should be, shouldn't be. Doesn't God care about me? There's reasons for suffering. And I didn't want to take the show to get into the deep thoughts of why there has to be suffering. But one thing we understand, if the world didn't have suffering, then the world would, be, would, would just cease to exist because there's no, we have no saving grace on that to say we have to be allowed to survive. Anyway, so interesting. So we get to the Tower of Babel. So what was that story? So the basic story is Nimrod uh, becomes king. Most of the people are living in in Bavel. Bavel is the place where all the floodwaters, um, everything sort of sort of uh, made its way to this lowest point. And there must have been a lot of materials that survived the flood, and it was from those materials they started to make the tower. Why they want to make a tower? Some say they wanted support beams because they thought the the the, I don't know, the sky cracks every 1,600 and change years, so we gotta we need support systems so it doesn't flood. Others say they wanted to build towers to go fight with God. I'm not sure how high up they thought God was. Um, others, you want to say they wanted a spaceship. I spoke to a boy in class today about that. He said, they didn't have spaceships. I said, they didn't want a spaceship. They just figured if they get out of the atmosphere, they can just push it and it will go. I, how will they survive in that without atmosphere? I don't think they knew what it was. Like, I don't know what would have happened when they got that high, but that's not the point. The point was they were building these towers, or they would just, the towers would be so high, the flood couldn't uh, reach the top. They, they, whatever the calculation was, they wanted to make sure no more floods. There are no more floods that would destroy the world. So they're fighting with God. Hello, fighting with God makes you a pretty rotten fellow. So God should just destroy you. Starting up with me? Huh. You want to fight with me? I'll show you how I fight. You're all dead. But God didn't do that. We all know God changed the languages, and they were dispersed across the world. Whatever dispersed means, they were spread out. Spread out a little bit because you don't speak the same language. You're going to move with your, with your family somewhere where you speak the same language. So the commentaries say that this the Tower of Babel, that, or known as the Dorhaflaga, by the way, that generation, the reason why they were able to survive was because there was shalom, there was peace. They worked together. They weren't the thieves back from the flood. They, they, they actually got along with each other. By changing the languages, they couldn't build anymore because they couldn't talk to each other, couldn't communicate. But the power of peace, the power of shalom is so great, doesn't matter what kind of sins you do. I don't want to say God looks away. Everyone eventually has to pay pay in this world, pay in the next world. That's all up to God how he wants to do it. But the world as a whole, the world is allowed to survive when people can react with each other as people. There's peace. We're friends. We live together. Harmony, whatever fancy words you want to use. We're all good together. 
and there comes the music. What a great way to end. But in any case, I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you, of course, the wonderful sponsors. And, and, and let's try again. Thank you to all our wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know I can't do it without you. Thank you to the production team. We have David and Andy in the back. I hope I left you some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi T. Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRM Streamcast. And until next time, don't forget to think about it. <laughs>